start communicating what you want. Stop waiting for the world to give you what you want or read your mind or to figure it out. Say what you want, but do it in a way, just like Brian outlined here, say it and be like, but if not, it's okay. I'm just letting you know what I would like. That I think is, is, is attractive to everyone, our employees, our teams, our leaders, like the people that we're surrounded by, that when a man is okay saying what he wants, but also isn't going to like pout and complain or whine when he doesn't get it. I, I personally feel tremendous respect for that type of man. Doesn't mean he's always going to get what he wants, but at least he has the courage to state what he wants. Welcome to Men This Way, the podcast for every man who seeks to live his deepest purpose in life, who's committed to showing up fully and giving his unique gifts to the world. Because if not you, then who? I'm your host and fellow journeyman, Brian Reeves. Brian with a Y, Reeves. Men, this way. Have you figured out what empathy actually is? Do you have a negative view of this word, empathy? Have you ever considered that empathy can also be fierce and powerful? Well, in this episode, I mind these questions and more with my thoughtful guest, David Waldy, for useful insights to make a meaningful difference in your life. Dave Waldy is a young man I recently connected with who specializes in teaching his superpower to others, and his superpower is fierce empathy. Our conversation builds over the course of our time together, and towards the end, I'm hoping what you hear just might offer the inspiration you need to start taking more effective action to affect change, particularly in your relational life. So a few stats about David. About five years ago, David experienced that pivotal moment in life that many men inevitably come to. It's that moment when a man realizes he cannot keep living life the way he's been living it. And some men actually consider literally killing themselves at this point. David was one of those men who actually considered killing himself because he had everything, the job, the money, the family, but it wasn't making him or his wife happy. Fortunately, David had the divine wake-up call, left his corporate career to reinvent himself, rebuild his family, and redefine what was possible in his personal and professional life. And today, he empowers leaders around the world with his philosophy of fierce empathy. And those two words really brought me into this conversation with him. I was fascinated to explore the juxtaposition of fierceness and empathy. I love that. I think I think masterful living is is paradoxical. How can we be both strong and vulnerable at the same time? So uh, Dave says fierce empathy enables us to look in the mirror, face the facts, and confront the challenges that hold us back from success, fulfillment, and aligned abundance. All right, well, we're going to explore what he means by that. David is a former head trainer for Tony Robbins. He's married with three young kids, and he's doing good work in the world by helping people learn to be more relationally skillful. Now, before we dive in, if you're a man who's struggling with an intimate relationship, maybe your partner isn't happy and you don't know why, or your sex life sucks or is non-existent, or maybe your partner wants things from you that you either don't understand what she wants or you just don't know how to give, like more connection, more vulnerability, more presence, or more safety. 
Well, you need to know about my new Elevate Your Relationship live coaching program for men. It's a six-month live coaching experience, which means you get to work with me personally, and it's specifically for men who are wanting to show up more powerfully, be more present, practice more skillful communication, and create more passionate connection with their partner. In other words, it's for men who simply want greater fulfillment in their relationships and who want that for their partners too. In this live six-month coaching experience, you will learn how to better navigate conflict, to even use your differences and disagreements to not create chaos or stagnation, but turn your differences into passionate connection. You'll learn how to create and maintain healthy boundaries, how to stand in your power, and in ways that won't turn her off, but rather draw her towards you, if she wants that. We'll dive into how to be your full, authentic self in the relationship, how to create emotional connection, how to practice the sacred art of masculine-feminine intimacy for deeper passion, and more. If Elevate Your Relationship sounds like it might be a good fit for you and you'd like to be considered for this, go to brianreeves.com E-Y-R. It's Brian with a Y reeves.com slash e-y-r and fill out the application there if it does seem like we're a good fit you'll be invited to schedule a no cost no pressure phone consultation to explore if elevate your relationship is a good fit for you and i mean that i don't do pressure sales i hate it when people do it to me i will never do that to you again the website is brianreeves.com slash e-y-r brian with a y And if you're in a relationship and you're struggling, don't delay. Go to that link, fill out the application. It is your birthright to thrive in relationship, and I'm committed to helping you do that. Now, back to my conversation with David Waldy. Take a deep breath and stay present with us all the way through to the end of this episode of Men This Way. All right, let's dive. David Waldy, welcome to Men This Way. It's a pleasure to have you on. Brian, thank you for having me, brother. I'm excited for today's conversation, man. Yeah, likewise. I, when uh, a mutual friend of ours, Dennis Marolda, who was also a previous guest on on my show, uh, invited us. I took a look at your work and dove into it a little bit, and was like, okay, he said some. You're saying some interesting keywords that I think will make for uh, profound and profoundly important conversation four men, the, the, the word specifically fierce empathy. Uh, so man, I'm, I'm all about it. I'm really excited to dive in with you about that. Yeah. And thank you for being here. Absolutely, bro. But before we do that, before we dive into that, um, I'm curious because you, you hail from Kansas, farm boy, Yep. Part of your part of your mythology, your story of uh, growing up a farm boy in Kansas. I was just I just went to visit my dad in southern Illinois. He lives in the cornfields in southern Illinois. And man, you know, I'm, I I mostly grew up in the East Coast. I've lived on the West Coast, and I was stationed in Oklahoma in the military. And what a different world! Yes. Where are you now? What was it like growing up? First off, where are you right now? Where do you live now? And what was it like growing up on a farm in Kansas? Like, what, what do you tell about that story about that time? Yeah. So <clears throat> currently I reside just outside Columbia, South Carolina. 
And it's kind of a long story for how I ended up here. I lived in Florida for a while, but growing up, you know, my first, you know, we didn't move from Kansas until just before I turned 14 years old. So all of my core childhood memories were uh, were in Kansas and it was a beautiful childhood. Uh, there was a lot of stuff that uh, I didn't really appreciate until I became an adult, but there was also those things just like we all look back and you start to recognize, wow, okay, maybe that wasn't so normal, or maybe this was not a good thing, or maybe mm. <laughs> there's things that uh, that should have happened that didn't happen, or that did happen that shouldn't have happened. And so it was uh, it was interesting because we lived on about a 70 acre plot. My grandparents mm. lived on a corner, my cousins all lived on a corner, and then we lived on a corner of the property, and we kind of just shared. So my my childhood was very much like the Andy Griffith show. I was Opie Taylor. I, mm. I, you know, summer months, I'd get up, BB mm. gun on one shoulder, fishing pole on the other shoulder with my dog, and I'm mm -hmm. headed out. <laughs> and yeah. that was that was a lot of what my childhood was. My dad was a veterinarian. And so uh, entrepreneurial, he uh, had a very, uh, very solid work ethic. And being from the Midwest, a lot of what's conditioned into you is is work ethic. Like everything is about mm. hard work, sun up to yeah. sundown, and putting in the work required. My mom was a, a teacher. And so, uh, you know, growing up, I had my younger sister, she's about five years younger than me. Uh, we had what I consider to be a pretty traditional family. Uh, I grew up in evangelical Christianity. That was my mm -hmm. background. And uh, there's a lot of things that came out of that good, bad, and ugly, mm -hmm. <laughs> but mm -hmm. it's very much, you know, if you're from the Midwest that uh, it's kind of similar to where I am now in the, in the Bible belt of the United States is mm -hmm. that uh, religion is, is a big, big part of culture. Mm -hmm. uh, again, mm -hmm. good, bad, and ugly. It is what it is. It's just, <laughs> it's a part of it. And so yeah. I felt like I had a really beautiful upbringing in many, many regards, but it also formed and fashioned me in a lot of ways that um, led to a lot of pain, a lot of difficulty, a lot of uh, challenges that I'm sure we'll get into. Yeah. Well, let's dive into that a little bit. One of the questions I like to ask my guests to help our listeners get to know them a little bit better is um, to bring us in, share with us a, a significant event or experience in your early life that played a fundamental role in shaping you as a man? Yeah, the, the most significant one that that I would say uh, just played this foundational fundamental role was actually one of the one of the most painful seasons of my life. It was shortly after we moved to Florida. So just before I turned 14, we moved to Florida. I had no idea why, but my my parents sold us on this idea of moving close to Mickey Mouse <laughs> and Disney World. So I was like, oh yeah. Sounds <laughs> good. At 14. Like, this, yeah. this sounds awesome. It yeah. wasn't until many years later that I found out that the reason that we moved was it was my parents' last ditch effort to save their marriage. Mm. And it didn't work. My dad ended up... Um, uh, walking out, uh, you know, within uh, within a year or two of ha us having moved there, and he moved into his own place. And uh, the experience for me that was foundational, and, and I know we'll come full circle on this uh, here in this conversation, but for me was I experienced this being a teenager, not really knowing who I am, what life is about. I mean, we remember all of us our teenage years. We don't know what ways up and what ways down. We're just there trying to yeah. figure it out. And so for me, when it came to masculinity, the the role of my father stepping out of our, our family unit, uh, I had a man who stepped into that role, I guess you'd say that, and, and he was a pastor, he was he was a pastor at my church. And so 
Um, the pain that happened was exacerbated by the fact that not only in, in about a one to two year period, I felt like I was abandoned my, by my father. And then the man who stepped into that role sexually abused me. And so I had two very, very challenging scenarios as a young man wrestling with masculinity and who I am and what it means to be a man and that coming of age and developmental growth. And so I feel like in retrospect, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, mm -hmm. um, but I can hold gratitude for the good that has come out of it. It yeah. was tr tremendously painful. And a lot of it really didn't get stirred up until the past few years when I really mm. started focusing intentionally on, on therapy and working on mm. myself and getting help and asking the tough questions. Uh, but it was absolutely instrumental in becoming the man that I am today. And I don't yeah. know if that was kind of the answer is maybe the opposite of what you were looking for, but that was it, man. Not at all. I, th I think, I think, look, I, there's a surely a, a million stories you could share. I mean, there's so many moments that go into influencing, playing a role in the men that we become as adults. And uh, I heard someone say recently, you know, it, it's it's not what happened to us as a child. It's what we do with it that yeah. matters. And, that. you know, I'm, I'm always fascinated to hear how men answer that question. And and oftentimes it's 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 the men that we become is rooted. There's a sense of it's it being rooted in a in a pain a wounding from childhood. Uh, in fact, actually, even just as I'm saying it out loud, I'm, I'm, I'm aware that, that one of the, you know, in ritualistic initiations from boyhood to manhood, there is always a wounding an intentional, whether it's a slicing of the hand or a, a, you know, I'm fascinated by there's a indigenous tribe down in South America that they have their teen boys stick their hands in these giant banana leaf gloves filled with bullet ants. Mm -hmm. And they have to endure the sting of a, the bite of a bullet ant is among the most painful insect bites possible on the planet. And it's filled with bullet ants and they have to withstand the, the the pain for 10 minutes without without making a sound without wincing like they have to endure it be in it be with it and and, and that is a, a a requirement of sorts yeah right so so i'm not surprised uh you know david that that you're that you find in your childhood um this awful 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 moment and yet it it, it all the same played a fundamental role in shaping you as a man it, it did and and to your your question uh, around empathy it was really interesting because i've started to recognize so i've taken strengths tests personality tests myers-briggs clifton strength on it for years and the first time i ever took one i was 15 years old and I'll, I'll be honest with you as a 15 year old boy you're when you take a, a strengths test or anything like that there are certain characteristics that you have kind of idealized of what it means to be a man like things mm -hmm. that you want you know i'm a yep. motivator or competitive or strength or or whatever right. visionary yeah. and i remember being 15 years old and, and doing that for the very first time and reading the list of my natural gifts my natural hardwired strengths and i was pissed brian i was so pissed like beyond angry because the list from the top, empathy, mm. inclusivity, mm. connectedness, adaptability, mm. and input. Mm. And those core 
strengths, those gifts, if you will. There's a lot of, you know, I've done a lot of research on nature versus nurture and how some things that are gifts and strengths that we carry that, you know, all of us have natural bents towards certain things. There are certain kids who can sit down and just go to town on a piano and they're just, it's just a gift, right? Or a talent, but there's also skills and skills are things that we can develop Mm. and develop Mm. into strengths. And so these were things that were naturally hardwired. And as a 15 year old kid, I'm like, screw this, man. Like this, these are girly things. Like I, I'm not, what? (laughs) That was my understanding at the time. Yeah, totally. Except I ended up taking that same test over the course of the following 15 years, three different times. You want to know what my top five were every single time that I took that test, no matter what season of life I was in? (laughs) I'm I'm guessing uh, empathic or empathy was one of them. (laughs) They were all the same. They never changed. Interesting. They have never changed since that time, almost 20 years ago. And it, what it did early on was it gave me this this clue into into this thing we talk about around purpose around calling and around trying to figure out why we're here and what we're supposed to do and so over the years i ended up i mean really through my teenage years into my 20s i resented every part of who i was I could not look myself in the mirror. I hated the man that I was. I didn't know what it meant to be a man. Mm. It honestly, Brian, it, it wasn't until I'm I I'm 33 now. I still consider myself a kid. But I will say this, there was a transition about 2 years ago where I actually finally felt like I became a man and I could mm. look myself in the mirror and have full confidence in that. Like mm. I'm talking after kids, I've got 3 kids. I've been married for 9 years. That mm. entire time feeling like a child, wondering what in the world <clears throat> this thing called adulting is and all that. And what I realized is I had been so resistant to these things because they did not fit the model of what all of society and culture said, what a man is supposed to look like and what a man is not supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. And empathy, as I'm sure you know, is not exactly welcome in a lot of men's circles, Mm -hmm. (laughs) these conversations around it. Certainly not valued. Right. And so it was very, very challenging uh, for many years. Uh, many, many years until I started to embrace it. And I realized that it was a tremendous gift to people when I actually owned it and I was Mm -hmm. grateful for it Mm -hmm. and I stopped presenting it and I had to learn it. I had to rediscover because my idea of what empathy was, was not actually what empathy is. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a lot Mm -hmm. of times where people get confused as they have this concept that they think is, this is what masculinity is, or this is what empathy is, or this is what love is, or this is what intimacy is. And yeah, so, uh, you know, David, uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm getting chills. Cause I, I love, I love where this conversation is going. I I'm, I'm really excited about it. I'm even thinking about the word fierce, like adding the word fierce to empathy. Now it appeals to me as a man, <laughs> but, uh, but I want, I want to share, I worked with a man, uh, who's 65 years old. He was a client of mine a couple of years ago, <clears throat> 65 year old man had been married 40 plus years, although his marriage was in shambles. That's why he came to work with me. 65 years old, was a successful entrepreneur in the oil industry, uh, you know, wealthy, had homes, all, all the stuff, had raised children, all of that. And he said these words to me, I don't know, a few months into our work together. He said, you know, I, I, I realized that I've never really felt like a man. 65 year old man in a hyper masculine industry, oil, right, energy. And technology. And I'll never, and here he is. And I think at the time I was maybe four, I'm 48 now. Maybe I was 45 or 44 or something. And I'm, you know, there's an elder man, 20 years, my elder, 
saying these words and I get it Mm -hmm. because that's been my journey as well. But it's, I think so many men go through their entire lives attached to some warped, you know, bullshit version of what a man is. And all the while we're protecting a fragile, actually a very fragile masculine identity in all the different ways that we do that. And I'm sure you've seen this in your work too. Brian, I've seen it time and time and time again, is that most often the men who have difficulty talking about emotions and opening up and being vulnerable and and having the courage to, to, to really share with a brother. Like I shared something on social media the other day, other day, and basically the premise of it was, I don't care how you define masculinity. Sometimes the most, like the most effective thing that you can do is a deep, guttural, visceral, unashamed, unabashed cry into the shoulder of a brother. And that does not exist in the day and age that we live in, except for in very small circles, because most men are so terrified of emotions because we're taught that we have to have, you know, we're we're supposed to have have it all together. We're supposed to be the strong ones. And I have found time and time again, that the ones that have the hardest exterior facade, oftentimes at the depths of who they are, have some of the greatest insecurity. And no one can get past that tough facade because it's tough right? It is so tough. Um, but most often with time and intentionality and connection and, and exploring things together for, for a lot of us, there's still like this, you know, I am careful around the conversation of inner child work and then there's a lot mm-hmm. of different philosophies mm-hmm. around it, but I do believe and understand that there is a part of us as men that if we don't take the time to actually work on healing and, and restoring relationship within ourselves with ourselves, we will never be able to come to that place where we do feel like, okay, I feel like a man and I feel confident in that. I know who I am. I know what I do. I know what I'm committed to. I know what I say yes to and what I say no to. I know what my standards are. These are my habits. These are my routines. These are my rituals. This is the husband I choose to be. This is the father I choose to be. This is the leader I choose to be. And that process, it takes a lot of time and intentionality, but as I'm sure you know, when you go through that process, you come to this place, which is what I feel like I've been living in the past few years where you no longer feel like you've got anything to prove Mm -hmm. and you no longer feel like you've got anything to hide. You're just Mm -hmm. free to be who you are. And you're kind of cool if some people don't like that. (laughs) You're okay with it. It doesn't really matter anymore. Yeah. 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 I know that the, yeah, I find it really tragic and heartbreaking um, that one of the leading figures these days in in the, in the realm of manhood is Andrew Tate, and and all I see is all I see is actually an extremely fragile man, mm-hmm. endlessly trying to prove just what a man he is. I 100% agree with you. And it breaks my heart as well. It's not judgment towards him. It's not anger. It's not, it's, it's for me, it's a form of, of pity where I'm like, I'm looking at him because here's the hard part about an Andrew Tate. Much of what he says is spot on is 100% accurate. However, if you really look beyond the projection, like you're talking about, and you really listen to these, these themes and consistent themes, there's a lot of stuff that I, you know, I'm not here to tell anyone what to believe, but that I vehemently disagree with. And I think that a lot of it comes from, you know, and not to call him out in particular, but you're right. He has become a pillar uh, or an example 
or a lead influencer in the realm of masculinity. And I don't think people understand what they're signing up for in idolizing him in the way that they do. Well, and I'm, I'm happy to call the man out because I'm, I'm, I have a, I, I do have a, uh, I do feel angry personally. I do feel, I think it was Thomas Merton had this term, holy, uh, out, well, holy, Tom. holy outrage. Come on. Righteous holy, indignation. <laughs> holy outrage. Like there are things on this planet we should be fucking outraged by. Mm-hmm. And I know it takes discernment and it, it to, to to what to be outraged by. And I guess we each have our own say in that. And of course, you know, what we do with our outrage totally yeah. matters. And the same thing, like, you know, what, what happened to us as children is what happened to us. It's what we do with it that matters. And I think it's the same, yeah. uh, you know, what we do with it. And I think having these conversations for me is, is having this podcast. This is a lot of work to put on a podcast like this, but I think... I think it's, you know, it's my way of, of, of channeling my holy outrage that there's so much, well, there's so much adolescent masculine psychology in, in the world and, and adolescent masculine psychology. I think this would be a good segue into uh, empathy. I think a lot of adolescent psychology, the hallmark of adolescent psychology, one of the hallmarks is, is, is the hero complex. I am the hero and the hero is a individual. The hero doesn't need anybody. The hero has to overcome everything, Mm -hmm. has to be the one to fight the dragons, be the one to receive all of the awards. And Mm -hmm. if there's no dragons to fight, well, I'm not needed. So I'll go wherever there's dragons to fight. And as again, it's just Andrew Tate. He's just Mm -hmm. fighting dragons everywhere he looks and teaching boys how to fight dragons through, through, through very shallow. I say, well, that's shallow. There's nothing wrong with building up your body, learning how to fight, learning how to be mm-hmm. even effective and powerful with women. But what's yeah. lacking in, in that adolescent approach, I say, is fucking empathy, being able to put, be relational. So, yeah. so let, let's, let's dive into empathy. First off, what do we get wrong? What do we okay. misunderstand in your view about empathy? Yeah. So in, uh, and, and I just want to real quick, I'll echo your, your sentiments about, about that. I agree. You know, there's certain, that's why I say certain components about like taking care of your body and working on your, your, the vessel you've been given and mm-hmm. making it a precision tool and taking care of controlling your thoughts. There are some things. And I think that's, what's so sinister about it. It's kind of like, if you go right, back yeah. to the garden, <laughs> right. It's like, you know, when Satan deceived Eve or the devil deceived Eve, it was like two truths in a lie kind of scenario, right? Mm-hmm. Is that you're not really getting the full context. And so that's why I think a lot of people are misled by it because it sounds really good on the surface. But when you dive in underneath, there is you're spot on with how you're describing it. But this thing around empathy, the, what I feel like we get wrong is that for some reason, somewhere along the line, we believed the lie that empathy is a form of being soft that empathy is uh, is coddling it's enabling it is um oh you poor thing i feel for you it's it's a very very passive quality is what we've believed mm-hmm. is that empathy is very much like oh yeah i just you know i'm going to be super sensitive and walk on eggshells and make sure i don't ruffle any feathers and make sure i people please i'm trying to be empathetic mm-hmm. right towards mm-hmm. these individuals and nothing could be further from the truth because true empathy if we think about it this way i love using this example now i'll just ask you a question Brian. do the people that you love and respect most in your life tell you what you want to hear all the time nope same for me 
the people that we love and, and especially like grandma, like grandma don't care. She'll tell you like it is. <laughs> she, she's like, she, I think that for most people, at least, well, I shouldn't say for most people, at least for me, when I think about, you know, the traditional grandma, she's going to spit facts and she doesn't really care about you. She loves you. You know that she adores you, but she'll slap you if needs happen, <laughs> because she has an understanding and the people that we love and respect the most, the reason that fierce empathy came to be is that we have to be fiercely committed to what we believe. Just like you said, that righteous indignation or that righteous anger, that holy anger about certain things. There are things in this world that are wrong, that are evil, that are unjust, that are not okay. There's not just everything's all right. But the challenge with that is creating an environment where even in that holy anger, the uh, opposing party, there has to be established relationship in order for any form of accountability to exist. So we live in a world where everyone is trying to hold everyone else accountable and there's no effing relationship. There's no relationship. Mm -hmm. And so we don't have the full context. We don't have an understanding of all the complexities and layers. And so that's why I'm always very, very careful to when I try, when I'm attacking someone, I'm attacking their actions, not their character, not their identity. And I think there's a huge difference there. And we don't see that conveyed on the media. We don't see that on television. We don't hear that on a lot of interviews. What people end up doing is going and attacking the individual rather than what they're saying or what they're doing, or what they're modeling. And the reason I feel like that's important, and why fierce empathy exists, is that when you are fiercely committed to what you believe, but you are simultaneously willing to take a step back and to create an environment where the opposing party feels seen, heard, and understood, you can create a healthy dialogue, disagreement, argument, where it doesn't have to be personal. We've lost the art of arguing ideas and beliefs and opinions. And now everyone and their mother has my truth, which is nothing more, in my opinion, it is nothing more than an opinion, this whole my truth thing. And so for us, empathy in and of itself, it's not about trying to step into someone else's shoes. That's what everyone thinks when they think of it. Oh, just step into my shoes. That's an impossibility because you don't have their background. You don't have their story. You don't have their scars. You don't have their trauma. You don't have their upbringing. But what we can do is in that instance, we can step into this place where we say, okay, I know what I believe and I'm fiercely committed to that. But simultaneously, I'm going to create an environment where you feel seen, heard, and understood. And once I know that that environment has been created, I will have the courage to speak what I believe to be the truth, regardless of whatever discomfort may follow. You don't have to agree with me. You don't have to think that it's right, but I'm going to share with you what I believe to be the truth. But the problem again, going back, Brian, is that outside of the context of trust, some measure of trust and open accountability saying, I give you permission to disagree with me, it doesn't work. So everyone, we see it all over social media. Everyone is going around, licking wounds, comparing scars. Nobody's healing and nobody's getting better because everyone is pointing out all these things when relationship doesn't actually exist. And so fierce empathy in and of itself is establishing that context where, you know, if you and I are having, say you come to me, like say Brian comes to me and he's like, man, I'm dealing with this, 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 and this guys, all of us, our default is like, well, dude, just do this and fix the shit. 
Like, just do this. Just fix it. Stop doing this. Stop talking to your wife this way. Stop treating your kids that way. Stop snoozing. Stop, you know, eating (laughs) whatever five guys every day. We feel like we want to jump in and fix. And what we're conditioned to believe is that, well, that's useful. Except the problem is, is most often it's actually not. If we can create... It's very, it's it's very outcome oriented. It's all about the outcome. It's like, let's get to the outcome as quickly as possible. Right. And that's especially where we as men miss it in marriage. I know you know this better than anyone. So a very simple way to start embodying fierce empathy. There's two things I'll share here. Number one is recognizing that all of us are making up stories every single day that are completely irrational and completely unfounded. The next time you go to a restaurant and your food is 20 minutes late, ask yourself what story you're coming up with. Because most of us, my server doesn't give a crap about me. What the heck are they doing in the back? Somebody must be texting on their phone. What is going on? And it's all about me, 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 me. It's a story we're making up, which actually elevates our emotional state, which causes us to get triggered and offended and upset and to say and do stupid shit that we would never do except for the fact that we're believing these stories. When we go through the drive-thru or when our wife says, oh, I'm fine. Mm. What story are you making up, right? Those are the things that cause us to emotionally dysregulate. And that's what takes us out of this environment where we're trying to see here and understand what's really going on and to say, hey, you know, I could be wrong about this or whatever. So that's number one is checking the stories. Number well, two. Well, and, and before you keep going, because I think there's yeah. some, I, I want to just stay here for a moment too, because even that well, that that story, okay, you, you, you say to your wife, what's wrong? I'm mm-hmm. fine. I'm fine. Well, I think most men would immediately think, oh, shh, I'm going to get crushed. I'm about to get destroyed. <laughs> Again, it becomes about me. Like you said, yep. to your point, 100%. it becomes about me. It's It actually doesn't tend to lend itself to more curiosity to really genuinely want to show up in service and and to the the the, the you know in this case the, the woman who's probably in pain and, and going through something what it would tend what it tends to be for us men is uh how do i avoid whatever's coming yep. if i just ignore it or mm-hmm. uh avoid it or or i'll get ahead of it and just dismiss it or i'll change I'll, I'll take us somewhere where we don't have to talk about it. well that's ignoring it or avoiding it but uh, if I, I know what's wrong and I'm going to get ahead of it by dismissing whatever I think is going on for her. Again, just playing out my story. Yep. And it is very, I, I, you know, I, I don't believe the vast majority of people bring malicious intent into their relationships. Right. I think it's just a lack of understanding how to be relational. It's yep. a it's a lack of, um, I, I wonder this, um, shit, what do I wonder? I forgot what I wonder. Oh, I I wonder this, David. It occurs to me, I want to know what you think about this. It occurs to me that one of the greatest challenges around empathy too is is sort of, it's like the, the, well, what about me? You have a problem? Fuck you. What about my problems? Like the, the, the woundedness that I'm living in, you want me to be present for your upset or frustration or woundedness? Well, fuck that. Again, it's not necessarily consciously spoken this way or, or even thought this way, but it's a, you know, like my, my wife, one of the challenges I've had to work through over the years is I only get mad when she gets mad. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's like, well, it, it feels like it's a moment of, you know, how dare you be angry? You're going to get angry. Well, fuck, do you know what I'm going through? Kind of, kind of yeah. thing. Right. Yeah. So, so I, again, I, 
I think it's just important in this, this, the, the stories we're living in to really set this up. Cause I think men are, are, are going through all kinds of different things that just get in the way. Just this right here. I, we can't even begin to be empathic mm-hmm. if, if we aren't able to acknowledge what you're pointing out in these, these things that are arising for us. And I think it, it, the, the hard part about this is that the very thing that would bring the healing and connection and respect and trust and intimacy and love and laughter and fun and joy. The, the, the key, I believe, to everything that we desire as husbands, as fathers, as men in general, right? And ladies, I believe this goes true for any ladies listening as well to some degree, is that it's, it's in, in holding space, particularly men for women. I see men and women as, and they're, you know, the analogy obviously breaks down like most of them. I see women as water, okay? Imagining like the ocean, right? The ocean, whew, she got moods, right? You got hurricanes that can come through or you've got the gentle lapping on the shore, right? Our wives are this beautiful, swirling ball of emotion, right? And a guy is kind of like the brick wall, right? And what I see most often happen is that when a woman crashes into her husband, whether she's angry or she's emotional or she's upset, what a man, most men typically do, one of two things, either they let her crush him and he caves, which is not what she wants in any way, shape or form. They think they think that she does. And she, she just walks all over him. He doesn't stand in his power. He lets her get her way in every single thing that she wants. Or what he does is he crushes her. He becomes hyper assertive. You'll do what I say, et cetera. He'll use his strength, his force or whatever. And sometimes that can borderline on abuse, emotional abuse and even physical in certain cases when really what what can happen. And this is what I've been learning. And I have seen it proved out over and over and over again, is that when I can stand in my power as a man and lovingly allow my wife to, whether it's that gentle lapping up against it, or if she's like beating on it, that I am immovable and unshakable, that I can stand in that place. And the reason that I say that is for practical, let's take this practical. How many guys listening right now, I'd be curious, and Brian, you can attest to this too. How often have you been riding in the car with your wife and you're like, hey, you want to get something to eat? Like, yeah, sure. Okay. Well, what do you want? Well, I don't know. Well, what do you want? I don't, I don't know. Okay. And then the guy, what does the guy do? Well, maybe I'll just pick a place. Okay. I'm just going to pick a place. She doesn't know where she wants to eat. Like, okay, well, do you want to go to Applebee's? No. Well, you just said you didn't care. Okay. Do you, not Applebee's. Do you want to go to Buffalo Wild Wings? Do you want to go to you know, Cracker Barrel? Do you want to go to whatever it is? And every Cracker time- Cracker Barrel, you're showing you Kansas roots now. Come on, man. We're going to hit some Waffle House too down here in the South. Um But what ends up happening is an argument breaks out, right? It's like, why won't you tell me what you want? And that's most often the line that exits a a guy's mouth is just tell me what you want. What do you need me to do? Why are you uh, upset? Why are you saying everything's fine? Do you want me to do the dishes or do you want me to do this? Or you want me to help with the kids? What do you want me to do? And what I think the problem with that question, Brian, is that it's so broad. It's so vague that a woman doesn't necessarily know how to respond to it. And it's not a woman thing. It's just people thing. Like if I say, what do you want? That's, I mean, there's 20,000 things you could say versus what I have found is creating a binary situation and binary is not always good. But in this situation is, Hey, right now, are you looking for support 
or are you looking for solutions? When your wife brings you problems, when she's talking about her day, our default is to fix it. Our default is to find the solution. When she is a completely different being than we are, she is this, if she did not have the quote unquote, what we call chaos of her emotions, we would lose interest. Part of what endears us to women in general is the fact that they are different from us in so many different ways. And so for me, when it comes to my wife and interacting with her, I'm always trying to create options. I'm trying to say, hey, would you, you know, would you, and I pull some sales stuff out too. Would you be opposed to going to the Cheesecake Factory? <laughs> right? Well, I wouldn't be opposed. Okay, we're going to Cheesecake Factory. Or in these situations where she says I'm fine, or she's processing and talking through things. Sometimes what she needs more than anything is for you to just shut up and listen. But we're constantly defaulting to fix it mode. And what I feel like empathy is, it's less about the other person, more about saying, if we're going to create the things in our lives that we want, we have to be willing to step outside of our own stuff, our own funk, our own problems, our own issues, and create this environment with, with our wives in particular, and even with our kids. Hey, do you need me to just hold space right now? Do you just need to talk right now? Do you just need support right now? Or do you want solutions? Because I've found, I don't know if it's the same for you, Brian, but nine times out of 10, like actually 99 times out of 100, my wife already freaking knows the answer. She's smarter than me. <laughs> she, she knows the answer. She's just looking for support in that moment. And, it, and we are just go, go, performance outcome. Let's get there. Let's get past this. Let's get to the next, get to the next, get to the next. And it doesn't create what we're longing for, which is that intimacy, respect, connection, love, and trust. So I, I just want to speak to a few things because I can hear some some members in my audience maybe listening in and thinking, for example, there are going to be uh, some men who will themselves feel like, well, I'm the I'm the ocean, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and the women I choose are always they're the brick wall. Yep. And so I want to I want to be mindful to acknowledge that indeed sometimes you know it, it, in my case look I am the brick wall my wife when I when I, the metaphor I always share with people when I talk about our first meeting was as soon as I was in her physical presence I felt like someone had just pushed me off a cliff into the deepest ocean waters <laughs> I love it I was feeling her emotionality I was feeling the depth of her capacity to feel and it was intoxicating and. Uh, yeah, at times it, 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 uh, it has threatened in my own mind to, to overwhelm me to, to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the ship sailing her ocean. And at times, man, I, I it's like her emotionality, it, it's yeah. overwhelming from, from my more limited capacity to, to feel. And, yeah. and, and so I, I just want to sp speak to that, that sometimes yeah, in, even in heterosexual relationships, men can be and feel like their, their wife or their woman can't be with their emotionality. And also I want to, this question, what do you want? A lot of times there's a lot of women that will say, well, I know exactly what the fuck I want. And I tell him and he doesn't do it or he resists, he denies, dismisses. I am clear. Mm. Right. I think that happens a lot as well. Yeah. And well, I know that it, that happens a lot as well. And and so I think, I, I think, you know, I, I, I've been working with couples for the last 10 years and, and do a lot of relationship work. My focus is relationship work in, in men, particularly mm -hmm. uh, these days, really helping men become more relational and particularly in intimate context. Um, how do you help men really understand? Because you lead in with the word empathy, fiercely yep. so. 
but you, mm-hmm. you, you don't shy from it in my yeah. L I have an elevate your relationship program. I was telling you a little bit about that and yeah. we don't in, in our marketing language in our, even in our, like, as we go through the, the, we teach nine specific skills, we don't teach empathy. Mm-hmm. We teach curiosity. We teach how to be curious. We teach how to be vulnerable, courageously vulnerable. We teach how to have boundaries in ways that are loving and respectful. We teach how to navigate conflict in ways that create connection versus just more chaos or disconnection or stagnation, all those things. But we don't use the word, we don't really use the word empathy much. And probably because again, I just know men don't really understand it. They still don't understand. I'm even listening to this. They still may not fully understand. It's such an elusive concept. Right. How, what, what are like the core, like, break it fucking down for the guy that's still just like, I don't get it. How do you do it? How does it, how is it going to make me, how's it going to make things better for me? I know you have a whole framework. You have these four pillars of, of empathy and all this, but, and I know we don't have a lot of time left. Mm -hmm. So break it down for the guy listening or the woman listening who she struggles to be empathic. Right. Okay. So if we look at, the words okay it is in very intentionally you could call it a juxtaposition you could call it paradoxical fierce and empathy there are two words that don't seem to go together and the problem that i have found is that especially going back to our earlier conversations around just masculinity and fem- femininity and what that looks like and, and i love that you you brought up as well that that sometimes the uh, the roles are flipped. You know, it, it's not always universally men and women are occupy those roles. And and there are also things that change over the course of life, you know, that you might transition. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to empathy, when you are fully present, which I have found, I, I and I still struggle with to this day, when you are fully present and you are living in that moment, fully engaged, you're not living in the future. You're not living in the past. All the the stuff that's going on at work and all the stuff with the kids and the bills to come and the fact that maybe there's you know, something coming up that uh, you're concerned about or family vacation or whatever it is. You look at both sides of the coin. When we're living in the past, which is guilt, shame, condemnation, regret, we are not the men that we want to be. We're short. We're snippy. We're, we're constantly out of our element. We're living in the past in our minds or in the future. It's worry. It's doubt. It's fear. So the reason that fierce empathy in and of itself is so incredibly important is that when you are fully anchored into that present moment, fully engaged, fully attentive and responsive, not just you're there. We've all had those conversations with people where, you know, someone's sitting there like, can you say something? Because they're just stoic versus that person who's really leaning in is like, okay, yeah, no, I hear you. Okay, I understand. You can tell when someone is engaged in a conversation when they're not. And so very just sidebar, very practical thing. Put your freaking phone away when your wife is talking to you. Like for real. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, When your kids are talking to you, like I have a, you know, I have a rule and I'm not perfect at this, but I have a rule that when I come into the house, because I built an office at my home, when I come into the house, When dad gets home, he sets the tone. And that's not to say that mom doesn't help set the tone too. But regardless of whatever mood is in my home, I am coming in with joy, with laughter, with hugs and kisses. 
And I'm going to, I'm going to throw my kids on the floor and rough house and be crazy. And we're going to growl at each other. Like I've got three under six, you know, I've got some young mm. kids mm. and with my wife, I'm bringing humor. I'm bringing laughter. I'm bringing support. I'm, I'm stepping into my home. I'm, I'm taking off the, the armor per se, and I'm becoming husband and dad in that moment. That's it. Right. Mm -hmm. Fully alive. But when we are having these tough conversations, when we're trying to be more empathetic, you have to be willing to tolerate discomfort and uncertainty because that is most often what is needed to be kind, not nice, kind. Yeah. And actually hold space for someone. And when you do that, the reason that this empathy thing is so incredible, and, and you're right to your point, Brian, it is very hard to define. It is very hard to, to understand outside of context, specific context and situations. That's, and I'll be honest with you, I'm writing a book on this and I've been writing it for five years, Brian, because it is one of the most, <laughs> number one, the book is yeah. incredibly confrontational for uh, me. Like uh -huh. when I read what I'm writing, I'm like, uh -huh. I, I can't freaking publish this. <laughs> like, uh -huh. you know, he's like, uh -huh. and so it's very confronting for me, hmm. but it's also very situational. But the cool thing is, is that you overlay it in any context. I know we're talking about husbands and wives in particular here. But if you are creating that space where you're fully vested, present moment, not living in the future, not thinking about dinner, not thinking about sex later, not thinking about whatever, you are just there in that moment. The deepest desires of our heart, wanting to feel respected, wanting to feel admired, wanting to feel loved wanting to have our wives come alive when we walk into the room. Like these feelings that we're after, I think that most of us fail to recognize that we are both the originator and receiver of them. And that's very challenging because in, go ahead, what were you gonna say? Well, well, something that, that also is just screaming out at me here is, is your, your invitation or challenge it, in 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 empathy and being empathic to be be rooted in the present moment, not mm -hmm. living in the in the future, not living in you know some imagined future or even imagined past. Yeah, the willingness to to be uncomfortable mm -hmm. also requires because it it requires that we men allow our partners to be living in the past or the future. Because yes. a lot of the one often the thing that will fuck me up. And I know fucks a lot of guys up. It's like, look, I'm doing this. I'm here. The past is the past. The future ain't here. I'm here. Woman, you need to be here or whoever it is. I'm being yeah. empathic with you need to be here. But now I'm no longer empathic, am I? No, you're controlling. Now I'm controlling. I'm, and, I, and I'm living in the future. Again, I need the future in five minutes from now to be better than what I'm feeling right now. Yeah. Rather than and, just surrendered to what is happening right now. I think the biggest thing that I have found that has completely transformed my marriage in every single way. Um, I'm nine years in, I'm not by no stretch of the imagination an expert, but I've got a couple notches in my belt. I've learned a few mm -hmm. things. And if there's mm -hmm. anything that I've learned, it's this is that the, the number one reason that my wife loses respect for me has actually nothing to do with her. Here's what I mean by that. When I am who I say that I am, our entire marriage is different. When I keep my word to myself, not to everybody else, because most of us men, we're really freaking good at keeping our word to everybody else. Because mm. mm. we, we, our integrity is on the line. Right. But the moment that we start saying these things that we're going to do, I'm going to go look for the new job. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to spend more time with the kids. I'm going to take you on a date every week. I'm going to do this. 
we lie over and over Mm. and over again. Even if it's not to her, we Mm. lie to ourselves. Mm. And I have found that in those situations, that oftentimes is why we're, we're, we're feeling disconnected. It's not because there's actually, we're, we're actually disconnected. We're not being the man we said that we would be. And that's a lot of the work that I focus on is it comes down to habits and choices, behaviors, and beliefs is that you've got to wrestle with yourself in the secret place, just me, myself, and I. And when you can look yourself in the mirror, and this is where fear, sympathy, it takes a whole nother angle and be actually empathetic towards yourself instead of looking at yourself in the mirror and saying like, real talk, I fucking hate you. Yeah. Because Brian, that's what happened to me. Five years ago, mm. I ended up in the bathroom with a Glock in my hand, ready mm. to end my life mm. because I was working 70, 80 hours a week, constantly coming. I was like, what do you want me to do? How much mm. more money can I make? We're making mm. six figures. I got the glass corner office. I've got the mm. company car. I've made mm. the, I, I'm successful. Right. Mm. By mm. all stretches of what everyone's, especially for a college dropout. I feel like I'm doing freaking okay. Why is it never mm. enough? Why don't mm. you ever want to have sex with me? Why mm. is nobody happy with me? Why mm. do I feel like I'm a fucking failure as a dad? Right. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry for the language, but you know I, what I mean? I, I, like to, I, I love to curse. So you're fine. <laughs> we say these things and those were actual conversations I was having in my head every single day. And I couldn't look myself in the mirror between one of two things, either wanting to cry and not crying or wanting to break the mirror, wanting to Mm. punch the mirror. And so what I started to realize is that all the things that I desired in my marriage, in my life, in my health and everything, it came down to this extreme ownership, which is a great term from Jocko Willing, is that it's this extreme ownership without layering on shame and guilt and content. The past is freaking over. It's done. You cannot change it. You are still going to have to deal with the results of it. Mm. And that was me for several years working through all of those poor choices and poor habits and things that that I was lying to myself over and over and over again. And, and here's the thing. If you have any relationship, right, Brian, if I was to lie to you on a regular basis, not keep my word to you, would you respect me? No. Okay. Um, would you want to spend time with me? Nope. Okay. Uh, would you trust me? Nope. Okay. And yet us guys think we can do that to ourselves day in and day out. And then we wonder why we don't respect ourselves. We wonder why our wives don't respect us. We wonder why they don't trust us. And we wonder why we don't trust ourselves. Mm. It's because we're constantly lying to ourselves over and over. Mm. And this isn't meant to be a board over the head. Like brothers, hear me when I say, I do not get this perfect, but I needed someone to lovingly look me in the eyes and say, dude, all your problems can be solved by you looking yourself in the mirror and saying, this is the man that I choose to be from this moment forward. I will not be perfect Mm. at it. I'm Mm. gonna make mistakes. I'm gonna drop the ball. I don't know how to hold space for my wife. I don't know how to talk about emotions. I don't know how to have empathy, but I'm gonna freaking try. I like it. That's Mm -hmm. courageous. That Mm -hmm. to me is the mark of a man who says, I don't have to have all the right answers. I definitely Mm -hmm. don't have all the right answers, but I'm gonna start asking different questions and I'm going to try Instead of doing the same things I've been doing over and over and over and over again that never create different results. I like it, man. You better hear that, fellas listening? It's like we don't have to get it perfect. We don't have to even ever get it right. Whatever the hell that even means. In fact, I usually abol- I abolish that word from certainly my <laughs> certainly my coaching practice, but also just my life. Get it right, get it wrong. I just don't find those words at all helpful. Yeah. That we're that we're leaning in and 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 doing the difficult work of confrontation with self, 
And uh, there's a beautiful you know, Rumi quote about, um, uh, I don't remember the full quote, but something about re- removing the obstacles to love that are within us. Yeah. Right. Removing the obstacles to just being present with my wife or whatever she's going through, which if the obstacle is I'm always on my phone, fucking put it down. If the obstacle is I'm always in my head judging her stories, put that down, put the judgments down. Just, can, can just listen. Can you just, just breathe, allow, allow, allow for the next five minutes, her to just be wherever she's at. Even if it's in the past hurt that pisses you off. Well, can you just be in that discomfort of allowing that for a few moments? Um, I, I think, you know, we're, we're on to, oh, you said something interesting. I would love for you to flesh out just a little bit before we start to, to conclude yeah. the difference between being kind versus being nice. Hmm. <laughs> Say so, more. One of my favorite books. Um, no more Mr. Nice guy, hmm. Robert Glover. Yep. Fantastic read. Yep. Um, a lot of us have the nice guy syndrome, right? We, we tend to be people pleasers. We have this fear of being misunderstood. We walk on eggshells around everybody. We don't actually say what we mean. We're really good at wearing all the masks. We know how to adapt in every situation to play the part, play the role and keep the peace. Cause that's really what I find most often is that we're trying, we're like, I just want to keep the peace. Just want to keep the peace. And so when it comes to this kindness, right, the best visual I've come up with is this, and this is particularly relevant in, in brotherhood and just like, you know, man to man. When you see someone who has a festering wound, there's either pus coming out or there's poison. Like you can tell there's something going on. Being nice says, oh, you poor thing. Let me bandage that up. I'm so sorry. And that's where a lot of people, that's why people are disgusted with empathy because they think that's empathy. Oh, I feel so sorry for you. You know, if I was in that situation, I'd feel bad too. It looks like you're bleeding out your eye socket. Poor thing, right? Mm-hmm which is more sympathy than anything, but kindness and who grabs him by the shoulders and looks him in the eye and says, Hey brother, you got poison in you. I need to take my knife and I'm going to have to cut into you and I'm going to hurt you. I have no desire to harm you, but I'm going to have to hurt you by speaking the hard truth in love, but I need your permission. I'm not here to, to do, if you don't want this fixed, cool. That's fine. It's your life, mm. dude. Mm. If you want it though, and you want real solutions, I'm going to have to dig in there with my knife and cut out this poison, cut out the pus in order for you to heal. Because this is on your arm. You can't do this surgery on your own. It'll cause more damage. That's one of the things too, is all of us men, we feel like we got to figure out this stuff on our own. Why? Why? What the hell? Why do we feel like we have to do this all on our own? What? Who are we trying to prove it to? But that analogy is kindness. It's saying, I care about you. I love you enough to hurt you because I'm willing to be courageous. But I know that in that, that only works in a context of trust. You have like, Brian, if I saw that on you, you would have to trust and say, I trust you with this knife. I trust you to cut me open. There's a verse in the Bible. I love it. It says faithful are the wounds of a friend. It's because it's not about harming people. It's about saying, I'm willing to speak the hard truth in love, which is where kindness is. It doesn't beat around the bush. It's not worried about it. It's saying, Hey, this is just my opinion. Here's my thoughts. I'd ask you to consider this. I'm not here to tell you how to live. And the last part of this, I wanted to circle back on Brian, because this, this dovetails really nicely, is that you will know you are on the path when you start coming to this place where everything around you does not dictate and determine your emotional state. It is all about emotional regulation and emotional intelligence. If your wife is constantly causing, triggering you, offending you and bothering you, that's your problem. It's not her problem. 
It's codependency. It says, if you're okay, sweetheart, then I'm okay. If you're not okay, I'm not okay. And it's a really hard thing to do. And it takes gradual progressive like work because ultimately the reason that we get triggered and offended and bothered by these things is because she is holding a mirror. I believe this with everything in me. She is holding a mirror to the things that are invitations for us to work on within ourselves because now I'm to the point, and I know you're the same way, Brian. We're not perfect at this, but there are moments where our wives are doing whatever. And we're like, I don't know what's going on with her, but it's not going to ruin my day. Mm -hmm. And you can hold space and you can be like, sweetheart, hey, babe, like, I know you're in the tizzy. Like, what's going on? You can stand in the strength. It doesn't mean that you're just stoic and don't care. It just Mm -hmm. means that you are your emotional state and your thoughts and your feelings are not dominated by her or by anyone else. You don't need the world around you to be okay for you to be okay. And that to me is a sign that you're on the right path. And that I think is what people are looking for in men is saying, okay, everything's going to shit. Who's standing there like, cool, it's all good. It's all gravy, baby. We're good. And I think that is an indication again, that we're on the right path. It doesn't mean we've made it. I don't think we're ever going to make it. I just don't. I think there's always things for us to work on. But I've found that my life is filled with tremendously more peace, joy, love, intimacy, when I don't let those external things dominate and control my life. Hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I think I think for me in my own journey of of understanding niceness versus kindness, uh, like the, the 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 nice guy doesn't he doesn't say what's really going on. Mm-hmm. He just plays nice. He just yeah. keeps keeps the peace, whatever the cost. Yeah. What do you want? Whatever you want, man. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever you want. Or, or do I want to, do, do I, do I really want a blowjob from my wife tonight? Nah, I don't really, I don't want that. It's okay, honey. I I don't want that. Or I I won't even speak to it. You know, the nice guy just doesn't, he has no desire, has no, he's not. Whereas kindness is, um, is, is for me is, is being honest about what's really going on for me in a way that leaves her always feeling respected and honored. Yes. Yes. I love that. Yeah. Like you said, don't have to be an asshole and I can be reassuring. I can be thoughtful. I can be, uh, empathic. And that's why I really love your fierce empathy. I think empathy done well is fucking fierce. It is. If if it's fierce towards myself, if anything, it's not a, a, a sword I wield on others then that's how I, but it's a sword. If anything, I wield on myself. It's the, the willingness to be in discomfort, the willingness to, to tell the truth, uh, in ways that are kind. Mm-hmm. You know, and to that's, be- that's where courage comes in. Like you talked yeah. about courage and vulnerability. I love Brene Brown says this vulnerability and courage are two things that cannot exist without one another. You can't, none of us can come up with a scenario in which vulnerability does not, is not predicated by a courageous act. You have yeah. to have courage to do that, to be vulnerable. And so I just wanted to mention that. I yeah. think it's so yeah. beautiful because you're right. When you step into that empathy, it is, it's not just fierce towards the other person. It is being fierce as in, I am being, I am being intentional in this moment. This isn't passive. This is very aggressive, assertive. I'm in this moment. Mm-hmm. And, and that I think is the, the difference than just, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever you want. That's the nice guy syndrome, right? Whatever you want. I'm happy to oblige. And you mentioned blowjobs. I think this is an important thing too. For everyone listening, and Brian, I'd love your thoughts on this real quick, actually. I've found it's much more useful 
instead of asking my wife, do you want to, to mm-hmm. just tell her what I would like, but do it in a frame. Be like, mm-hmm. hey, babe, I'd love a blowjob tonight. Mm-hmm. And you leave it there and just give her permission to say whatever it is. And she's like, hey, I'm really not feeling it. That's okay. I just wanted you to know. Yeah, I still love you. Whatever. And you carry on. There's not, oh, please, come on, please. That That's a fast track to losing a respect, right? Yeah. But when, when you're also approaching, it's like, hey, babe, do you think maybe kind of sort of we right. could because da, 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 da. Like, she's not going to respect that, in my opinion. I just don't think that women respect that. So uh, uh, you're 100% right. The only caveat I would offer is to the man who has never practiced this. Mm. or who has practiced it in the other way. I would like a blow job. And then when he doesn't get it pouts or is upset, <laughs> right? right. There, yeah. There's a training wheel process here that a man could step into and the training wheels. It, it, it could look like uh, communicating what's actually going on. So it might look like, you know, for the guy that's never spoken up about his sexual desire or rarely does, or feels afraid to, or, or started with the, you know, Hey, would you like, do you want to that, that thing? I agree with you. That's, that's not hot. Um, the training wheel process, it just looks like, uh, babe, I, I would really like a blowjob tonight and I want you to know it's okay if you say no. You know, that's the training wheel. You know, my, my, my wife and I have a lot of trust built up. We've, we've, we're, she knows it's okay to say no. When, when you, when she knows, when she already knows, as I'm sure your wife does, you've been practicing this for many years when they already know it's okay. Yeah. You, you can leave that part out. Yeah. You just, this is what I would like. Right. But for a lot of men, man, it's edgy practice. And that's a way of bridging to it to yeah. get there. They can invite the wife and let them know, I want you to know it's okay. Even, and the guy that's been abusive towards it, like the, the pouter or the, you owe me this, you know, there's a lot of that out there. You owe me yeah. this, you owe me a blow job. You owe me, well, if that, that ain't working for that couple, which I'm pretty damn sure it ain't <laughs> again, the bridge could be, you know what? I know I've been a, a real bear about this and I'm, and I apologize. And yeah. do I want a blow job? Fuck. Yes, I do. And yeah, I want you to know I am practicing being okay with you saying no. I, I love that. And I would also say just for next level for any guys to take that and overlay it just in your life. Start mm. communicating yeah. what you want. Stop waiting for the world to give you what you want or read your mind yeah. or to figure it out. Say what you want, but do it in a way just like Brian outlined here. Say it and be like, but if not, that's okay. I'm just letting you know what I would like. Yeah, that I think is 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 attractive to everyone, our employees, our teams, our leaders, like the people that we're surrounded by, that when a man is okay, saying what he wants, but also isn't gonna like, pout and complain or whine when he doesn't get it. I I personally feel tremendous respect for that type of yeah. man it doesn't mean he's always going to get what he wants, but yeah. at least he has the courage to state what he wants. Yeah. And I feel personally, just even we're we're talking about it, like I feel powerful in my body knowing that I can ask for whatever I want because I'm willing to hear no. Yes. And, and that is so attractive to my wife, to even potential business partners, to even client, even as a coach, when, when I was afraid to hear no, yeah. Oh my God, man. You know, decade ago, <laughs> not, you know, not a lot of people wanted to work with that coach. Fastest way to lose sales. <laughs> Fastest way to lose sales is I'm afraid to hear no. Yeah. <laughs> but when I genuinely, and it was a, it was for me, it was a night and day switch. When I genuinely became willing to hear no, holy shit, man. My enrollment yeah. conversations, I was, I mean, one out of every three people were saying yes to me because they felt, I even celebrated 
a no. It's like a, they they because they knew I'm genuinely on their side. Yes. Yes. Right. I love that. So definitely applies across across the board. All right, Dave. I know we're 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 coming up on time, man. I want to. Uh, this has been a. I think especially towards the end, we've we've really built some momentum, and I think there's a lot of of richness, and there's so much nuance. You know, I, I shared with you before we started recording. I think when we're having wisdom conversations, nuance is required. I mean, it's hard to make firm conclusions. Well, I think that like to your point and for, for anyone listening, brothers, like, you know, men or women, I I won't just talk to men is that, you know, one of the things about you listening to this podcast in particular is the fact that there's some trust that you have for Brian, that you've seen the vulnerability, you've heard the stories. And, and I just want to call anyone up to the next standard is that if you haven't had that conversation, Brian, I hope I'm not overstepping here, but if you haven't reached out to Brian, what the heck? Freaking send him a message. If you're struggling with some of these things, you don't know how to navigate it and you're trying to be the man that you said that you would be and you're working on relationships, who better than the man that you listen to month in and month out, week in and week out, who will actually come alongside you and help you with that nuance? Because you're right, Brian. We can't cover all of the nuance. Every single individual, every couple, every circumstance, it requires deep conversation and understanding and context and working through things based on background and experience and all this stuff. And I just want to honor you, brother, the work that you do. And for Thank everyone you. listening, like get on the freaking phone with this man if you're dealing with this stuff. <laughs> for real. Thank you. Thank you, David. It's very generous and I appreciate it, man. I re- truly, I received that. And thank you. Thank you. Sure. All right. Last one. We're going to do five questions. I call it, uh, your five emotional triggers. Mm. And okay. then I'll, and then, uh, I'll ask you to let people know where they can find you. So sure. it's, it's yeah. the, the five core emotional triggers, mad, sad, joy, fear, and shame. Here we go. Number one, what makes you mad? David, what makes me mad? Um, seeing people taken advantage of. Mm. I feel that one. That one pisses me off. <laughs> that, that one I'm seeing. I, I told you I took a trip home to see my father this past weekend, and there are some people that are taking advantage of him. And he's like, "Oh man, it's so fucking hard for me to be with it." Maybe so angry. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's that's fresh. That one's fresh for me. Uh, okay, uh, what makes you sad? Mm, uh, hurting people unintentionally or not hurting, Mm. I should say harming people, Mm. um, unintentionally. It's never, I had that happen in last week. I had a Mm. very delicate situation in which Mm. I did not deploy fierce empathy. I was Mm. accusatory. Mm. I was very confrontational. I did not create an environment where they felt seen, Mm. heard, or understood. And I, I caused a lot of pain and that causes me a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah, I did the same with my dad too. So <laughs> two for two. I probably have to do a whole episode just on my trip with my father last week, man. All right. What causes you to feel joy? Mm. What causes me to feel joy is is honestly just being with my wife and my kids. Mm. I adore my family. I'm married to my best friend, mm. uh, particularly just getting to have those moments, like specifically sitting on our front porch and just watching our kids play. We've got mm. a pond right next to our house and the kids like play out in the front yard. And it's just, it's peace, it's serenity. And it's not just that happiness. It's like undulating joy, just like it. It's hard to describe, but if you know yeah. it, you know it. <laughs> uh, you're a lucky man, fortunate man. Good on you. Uh, what causes you to feel f- fear? Mm. What causes me to feel fear? Betrayal and the thought of betrayal because mm. I've been betrayed so many times. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and the hard part about how I live life is that I'm the guy who will give you all the trust until you've lost it. I'm not mm-hmm. one that you have to earn the trust first before mm-hmm. I give you any. Mm-hmm. And I have found that mm-hmm. 90% of the time that works out, but 10% of the time mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to get, I'm going to mm-hmm. get burned. And so that's mm-hmm. always this underlying fears. Like, is this person going to betray me and hurt yeah. me? So, yeah, I feel that man. I, I also don't, yeah, I don't really believe trust is earned. I, it's given. And then, you know, we reveal whether we're worthy of the trust given. Yeah. So I feel that I'm, I'm with you, man. I also am very, very quick to trust and it mostly pays off well. Yeah, exactly. Most of the time it does. <laughs> a few times here and there, I've had my ass handed to me Yes. <laughs> at the same time. Uh, and last one, dealer's choice. What causes you to feel either shame or embarrassment or just makes you want to hide from the world? Uh, shame. I think this is probably a useful one for, for all of us men in particular. Uh, my lack of financial literacy, because it wasn't until probably a couple of years ago where I realized that I, my understanding of the world and how it operated, particularly around finances, um, there was so much shame that I've Mm. still, uh, still to this day, I'm still actually dealing with a lot of those financial decisions that I made in complete ignorance. Mm. And so I have to have grace for myself because at the time, just like all of us, we did the best with what we could. But there's still a lot of shame um, attached to that because of these stories I tell you, you should have known better. Why in the world did you make that decision? How could you have let that happen? Mm. And so there's a lot of shame that I, I still to this day am processing and healing, I guess, around my relationship with money. Mm. Um, I don't know if that's a good answer, but that's what it is for me. <laughs> no, I, I can relate to it, man. Sam, I did not inherit financial literacy from any of my parents. And there's a cost literally to that. So I feel you, man. Well, uh, David, where can our listeners learn more about you and what you're up to? Yeah, for sure. Anyone can find me on social media at David Waldy, basically any platform. I like to hang out on Instagram the most uh, website, davidwaldy.com. And uh, feel free to reach out uh, anytime I mention the podcast. And uh, I'd love to connect with anyone who, who wants to hear more, but just follow me on social. Hang out. Okay. <laughs> Any man that gets the feedback that he's not empathic, that he can't listen, that he follow David and his work, <laughs> check him out. Uh, I'm following David because it's always something that I can improve upon myself as well. And uh, David, thank you so much for coming on Men This Way, man. I've enjoyed our conversation. Brian, it was an honor, brother. Thank you for the work you do, man. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again to David Waldy. You can find him at davidwaldy.com. Of course, that link and any additional resources will be in the show notes at brianreeves.com slash podcast. Also, remember, if you'd like to experience empowering, transformational coaching with me to help elevate your intimate relationship experience, go to brianreeves.com slash E-Y-R and fill out the application on that page to get started on your coaching journey with me. There's actually another website you can learn even more about Elevate Your Relationship. It's elevaterelationship.com, just elevaterelationship.com. Don't delay, fill that out. If you're struggling with an intimate relationship, uh, I can support you to get on the journey towards thriving. Thriving is your birthright elevaterelationship.com. And lastly, please go write a review of this podcast right now on your podcast app. Doing so does help me and the show immensely. It, it, it also helps other people realize this is a trustable space. I deeply appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe yourself while you're at it. 
I'm your thriving life and relationship coach, Brian Reeves, Brian with a Y Reeves. Until soon, keep your head up, your breath relaxed, and your thoughts inspired.